This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Monday morning in America, and if you are somebody that had a great weekend, I want you to raise your coffee cup, your glass of water, your last glass of bourbon for the morning. I was going to say. Whatever it, whatever it might be. I've got a new one today. Raise that glass. Surely, Tim. Because we need to salute. I'm back to Zion. I got my Zion mug going on. Oh, what do you got? Mile zero. Picked up by the family. Key West. I Why love. don't we do this show on the road more often? Budget on the company dime. <laughs> That's something to do with money. Two listeners. We just need a third one. What? So if we get the third listener, we could probably. Couldn't we just shack up with some listener who's unawares of our living habits? Well, if they live in either of the two towns, or if we want to go to the two towns where they live. Oh, I see what you did. But there. neither here nor there. That has nothing to do with anything because you know what? The men and women in our armed forces protect Key West the same way they protect. Mainland Florida, same way they protect Texas, they protect Michigan, they protect our entire nation. I don't. I could, do you, would you want me to do all? But 50? not Ohio. But right? not Ohio. I mean, they're not. They don't really care that much about Ohio. They're like, oh, they took Ohio. Eh, I think we're good. <laughs> we're, we're fine. Thank God. <laughs> oh, Canada. Jokes on them. <laughs> Raise our glass, the men and women of the armed forces, on behalf of the men and women making podcasts in Mom's basement, and the men and women serving our armed forces at Navy Federal Credit Union. Shout out to our troops. Let's go stack some Benjamins this week, shall we? God bless America. Good evening. I'm Ron Burgundy, and this is what's happening in your world tonight. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and are you ready to get real about long-term planning? Because I'm getting serious about my five-year plan to save up strategically, you know, to buy a tanning bed. But I'm just warming up to that idea, here to tell us some red-hot stories about how a better plan makes a difference. We welcome the author of More Than Money, Real-Life Stories of Financial Planning, Taylor Schulte. For our TikTok Minute, we teach you all about trusts. In our headlines, it turns out a million dollars in your 401k may not be enough. Are you kidding me? Hopefully these guys are going to explain. 
and we'll throw out the Haven Lifeline to a lucky Stacking Benjamins listener. And then I'll share some bookish trivia. And now two guys who know how to get real about planning, it's Joe and O-J-J-J-J-G. Happy Monday, planning day, stackers. I am Joe Salcihi, Average Joe Money on Twitter. You made it. You found us. Sit back and relax because we're about to have some financial geekery in mom's basement. Speak for yourself. Starting bro. with, <laughs> starting with that guy whose voice you just heard, Mister OG, is here getting his uh, money geek on. How are you this fine morning, my friend? I'm not a geek. A, a oh, cool kid. I'm a jock. Okay. Yes. You keep telling yourself that He's a nerd. No, you know what the cool kids are the money geeks, right? Aren't we? I mean, seriously. Well, now, yeah, now, yeah. I mean, I I threaded the line pretty well from being always on the cool <laughs> side over my life. Always, yes. Always. It's never not been on the cool side. Nope. And uh, Doug, you're interested in today's topic because of your five year plan for the tanning bed. Got that ready to go. It's taken a long time to flesh that plan out, but I think it's it's well founded. I think you and I can uh, maybe go over how to timeline out that goal, like I talk about in my book, while everybody else listens to this. Hold on a second. This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers, they're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hey, Staggers, is Military Appreciation Month. You know what that means. We are recognizing all of our stackers in the audience. My good friend, Nords, Doug Nordman, who uh, some of you may know, he is a writer in personal finance. He's a guy I'd like to do. A shout out to, he is such a giving member of the FIRE community, the Financial Independence Retire Early community. Uh, Nords will do anything for you. It's just, just, I think some of that comes from his time on a submarine, like my nephew Colin, who's on a submarine right now, and all the work that uh, he did there. Just a super giving member of the community. And you know what? Uh, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate their members who go above and beyond, not this month, but every month. Navy Federal offers members only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Here's one of their offers in honor of Military Appreciation Month. Join and get $50 when you open a credit card. Of course, you want to have your whole debt strategy planned out, don't you? Don't just go open a credit card willy-nilly, as mom says. Uh, here's a disclaimer. You got to join and open your membership savings account between May 1st and May 31st. So get on it stackers. Annual percentage yield is a 0.25% for membership savings account, $5 minimum balance to open, maintain your membership savings account to obtain the bonus. Visit navyfederal.org for full terms and conditions. That's just one of the things they offer 24 seven help for their us based service members. They have resources all over the place. Head to navyfederal.org dot org for full terms conditions and other offers navy federal is insured by ncua equal housing lender doesn't that make it easier it does i can't i mean i wish i had that knowledge years ago we've got certified financial planner taylor schulte here 
uh, talking Never about real stories. Yeah. What a, what a sketchy dude. Taylor Schulte is, you're going to love this guy, everybody. There are some members of our team who feel that Taylor is above average in the looks category. I'm <laughs> really skeptical about this, but he, there are he, members he, he is quite, he is quite dreamy who just go gaga. He's a California kid and a product of the system. Let me put it that way. He is. Well, unfortunately, we're audio only. Maybe people can oh, check out our YouTube. Maybe this is a reason for people to check out our YouTube channel. Yes. Finally. Like, I wasn't going to go to YouTube, but oh, Taylor Shelty's going to be there? Mm. Taylor's Google on searches it? for Taylor just spiked. Yeah. Dr. McDreamy. Yeah, he's, he's dreamy. He's coming up. But before that, we got a great headline TikTok minute. So why don't we get this thing started? Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show. Our stacking Benjamin's headlines. Our headline today comes to us from thestreet.com and it's written by Veronica Bonarenko. Here's why having a million dollars in your 401k is not a foolproof retirement strategy. Wait a minute. Million dollars? Not foolproof? Veronica writes at a time of the disappearing pension, the 401k is for most workers the main source of old age security. Almost any financial planner be on you to start putting away as much as possible early and resist temptation to take anything out prematurely, even if a recently signed retirement bill will soon waive the 10% penalty for those who need to withdraw $1,000 a year due to economic hardship. But while saving is always better than not saving, one's financial situation also hinges heavily on the economy at the exact moment one needs to start tapping into those funds. According to the latest data, Released by Fidelity Investments, guys. Listen to this. 2022 was so turbulent. How turbulent was it? It was so turbulent that the number of people with over a million dollars in its accounts dropped by 32% from 442,000 in 2021 to only 299,000 in 2022. That's a little turbulence. Some people dipping below the seven-figure mark. Do you think that's from withdrawals or just market volatility? I think a lot of it's market volatility. I think it's also people second guessing the market volatility and really wrecking themselves. Yeah. And then we've seen other stories about how people have behaved appropriate or did behave appropriately during, you know, the market downturn. The thing that the um, author talked about there as far as retiring into an unlucky time, that's really the the big risk when it comes to retirement, right? You get to the number, whatever the number is that you've calculated, and let's just say it's a million dollars, and you plan on living on 40,000. So you've done the math and you say, that's great. And I hit a million and I retire. Well, you haven't given yourself any wiggle room, right? So you retire January 1 of 2022. You have to have a plan for being unlucky during those first couple of years of retirement because you can't, you, you know, there's no, there's no space to, to account for a 20% decline like happened in 2022. So you have to have a plan in advance for what are we going to do if the market doesn't behave the way that we expect it to or hope to, you know, in that first couple of years. Because if it does, if the first couple of years are fine, then you're, then you're golden because you would have built up that safe zone. Yeah, but that brings up the other problem that you see a lot more often, OG, is somebody gets to retirement, right? And they're like, I'm retired now. I don't need the stock market volatility. So what I'll do is I'll just take it all out. Yeah, I mean, I don't see that as much or or hear about that as much, especially over the last 15 years because the market's done so well. So it hasn't been a, a move, but that's probably more detrimental. But I would say even, even worse than that is the combination of those things, right? Retiring, not doing that, 
and then having it go down 20% and then doing it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Cause, cause then you eat the minus 20 and you never have an opportunity to recover it. And you're permanently kind of on that downside. Yeah. I think there's a fair number of people listening to that don't understand what you're talking about. A million dollars. And I can only spend $40,000 a year. Don't get me wrong. $40,000 a year for a lot of our listeners, nice lifestyle, but you think a million and then you think 40,000, those seem to be two different conversations. It's just based on the research that was done in the 80s and 90s about a safe withdrawal rate. And, and there's some discussion going on as to whether or not that number is closer to five or, or is it really three? Uh, the fire community has the different kind of finger the wind things, right? Do you want to be lean? Do you want to be fat? You know, so, so you want to withdraw a little bit less P- percentage? P-H-A-T. P-H-A-T. Yeah. Do you want to have a little bit thicker, thicker lifestyle, I guess, fat lifestyle, you know, so you're going to withdraw a little bit more, but you need a little bit more to be able to pull that off. There's also some, some evidence to suggest that that earlier part of retirement is a higher spend time than the later part, right? It kind of bottoms out. And then as you get toward the end of your life, when, when significant healthcare costs come, you know, that's another increase. And so, you know, it's very dangerous to kind of just use rules of thumb when it comes to planning, because Everybody's going to be a little bit different, but, but that 4% number is kind of the generally accepted finger in the wind guesstimation of if I have this, then I can take this out in year one and add inflation to it every year. And it should last. We've got uh, Taylor Schulte coming up, obviously, who's going to talk about the importance of making your own plan and how that's worked for a lot of people. However, if you're looking for that, that number, these these kind of average numbers drive me crazy because they really talk yeah. to nobody. However, that gives you a starting point. Yeah, maybe. Northwest Mutual estimated the average retiree now needs $1.25 million to retire comfortably next year. $1.25. And if you get to $1.25, then I think that makes that $40,000 lifestyle more locked in because to your point, you've got this. And people go, whoa, $250,000. That's, that's a ton of money for wiggle room. But you think about that, that's, that's 25. It's 10, 10 grand. Yeah, if it goes down 25%, though, the market goes down 25%, market goes down 20%, market goes down 20%, you're back at a million. Yeah, the solution to this is just to ensure that you have enough money in an emergency fund to fund the market decline. And this really just boils down to not making a bad decision when things don't go your way. You know, the market's going to do what it's going to do. You can't control what the end of the first year of your retirement is going to look like in terms of market performance but you can control how you behave. And so over your lifetime, you've dollar cost averaged in. I'm a big believer that you should dollar cost average out, except if there's a significant decline. Because if there's a significant decline, now you, now this is where it's compounding the issue, right? This is where you're taking money out of your portfolio and it's going down at a good clip. And so you're you're making this a bigger problem. And the solution to it is to set a line in the sand in terms of a dollar amount that you're not going to breach. Once the portfolio goes down a certain amount, we're going to switch to cash. You live off the cash for two years and just let your portfolio do its thing because statistically it will recover, but you have to give it the time while you're not mucking with it. You're not taking money out while it's trying to recover because it's going to eventually. And if you do that, you should have enough space to, to be okay at whatever dollar amount that you, that you pick. But either way, you shouldn't have a finger in the wind guesstimation of your retirement plan. There should be some significant personal planning involved. Well, and I think that if you don't, I think if you don't, your goals aren't exciting enough. 
And I don't mean your goals need to be, ooh, exciting, neat, but OG, remember, you know, there's all these things. Well, lately you've been really interested in AI, right? You've been hugely interested. So every second day I'm getting texts from you. I'm getting phone calls, but Ooh, I found this thing. This is really cool. And this is, <laughs> this is super, they're from your new minions, <laughs> but you are super interested in this. And when you're super interested in something, you can't help, but get in the weeds on your planning. And I feel like when people go, Oh, I'll just use a couple of rules of thumb. That's not, you don't use rules of thumb for goals that are important to you. So I would suggest that if you're not all geeked out, like you are right now about AI or, or we'll get about, you know, whatever from time to time, something that we really love and we can't help ourselves, but to dig in, you might need some more exciting goals. I actually, I actually wondered to myself though, how do you save a million dollars? And it's amazing in my research, I found this place OG called the internet. Have you ever heard this thing called the internet? Well, it's this weird button on my computer. That's where they put the AI people. Ah, well, the AI people led me to the people. On my computer led me to this place called well-kept wallet and a guy named Michael Leonard who had nine tips to save a million. And I like where he starts. He starts where you and I just started. Be clear about your goal. Start with two Be million. excited <laughs> about your goal. <laughs> number two, track everything, right? So you lock down your budget, but then you know what number three was? Number three was once you had the budget locked down, well, this will make sense. Make more money, earn more. Yes. Was his third thing. He didn't talk about anything else. Lock down the budget and then earn more. So that gap between how much you make and what you spend becomes larger. And I think a lot of people don't start there. I'll link to the rest of these because they get pretty obvious after that. But I thought that was interesting. He's got earn more at number three. Start early. We'll link, in fact, not just to that, but to everything about uh, saving a million dollars, million dollars in your 401k, this fidelity study, this piece from the street. We'll do a deep dive in our newsletter, the 201. Always free, unsubscribe at any time. But we give you links to everything, not just from this headline, but that we talk about on our Monday, Wednesday shows, the day after, on Tuesdays and Thursdays, you'll get the 201. Plus, from time to time, you'll get when we're going live uh, in the basement. Stackingbenjamins.com slash 201. Hey, guys, time for our TikTok Minute. This is the part of the show where we shine a light on some tomfoolery, as mom says, happening on the ticker talker. Uh, Doug, do you think that today the ticker talker is going to treat us right? Or is it going to maybe not be so much? Yeah, no, I think we need to restore balance. I think our producers and the the brain trust that we have behind the scenes picking these things realizes we got to go serious and get something really valuable. So that's what I think is going to happen in a couple seconds here. We're going to get some serious brain nuggets. Brain nuggets? Brain nuggets. <laughs> that just conjures up a not so great <laughs> image, does it? <laughs> I got to say, I've never thought in terms of uh, brain nuggets. Brain nuggets. Get dipping sauce with them and they're all. Yeah, I don't even know if a brain nugget's the good thing or the bad thing. So are you saying this is good or bad with a brain nugget? It's. it's I said it's going to be great. Ah, all right. Well, let's see. This is something that Tina from our team found on TikTok last week. So your trust is all done. How do we get your bank accounts into it? I'm elder law and estate planning attorney, Aaron Solomon. I help families here in Michigan with their estate planning. Once you have your trust done, you need to take a copy of it over to the bank. If you have a binder, if your attorney gave you a binder, bring the whole binder with you. Sit down with one of the bankers and let them know that you wanna put all of your accounts into the name of your trust. 
Now, if the bank tells you that you have to close your accounts and open a new trust account, don't do that. Just add your trust as the beneficiary on the accounts. Then when you pass away, it will pour into your trust and avoid probate the same way. Additionally, the bank may ask you for a tax ID number. Understand that while you are alive, your trust will use your social security number so that you don't have to do a separate tax return unless your trust is irrevocable. It sounds like, oh, gee, she doesn't know what she's talking about. I mean, I really think that things like the guy who is second guessing whether you get dessert or not probably knows a lot more than than she does. I mean, it was I mean, that was all factually correct. I don't know that um, that's necessarily the process that's the most efficient. Well, I think it I think it just brings up a great problem. And by the way, thanks to Tina for pointing that out. And the problem is and I was being sarcastic, so I apologize that that oh, may not okay. have come You're through. I'm like, it sounded pretty good. <laughs> I thought it was, I actually thought it was very good. <laughs> Wait a second. What, what didn't he I hear? He just didn't want to give me the satisfaction of predicting that it was going to be good. Ah, sarcasm. <laughs> she uh, might not travel as well as I think, but no, you know, the problem is a lot of people pay OG for these expensive trusts. to her point. They pay for these trusts. They pay a lot of money. And then they never, once they leave the attorney's office, they got that big old binder. They don't do anything with it. And the trust does not matter. None of that great estate planning matters if you don't get it funded. So that's what yeah. that's what she's talking about, right? Yeah. I mean, specifically around the bank accounts, it's rather unnecessary to put the bank account in the like the ownership of your day-to-day bank account as a trust. In fact, that will probably cause more headaches than it's worth. But the idea of having it be the beneficiary, the trust be the beneficiary of that account is uh is is super important. So a question for you on funding those accounts or designating uh, the trust as the beneficiary, how granular do you need to get in the mechanics of that? Like, do you need to specify bank account numbers and routing numbers, you know, and all of that stuff so that it happens automatically? Or can that all happen after the fact? Does your lawyer execute on that stuff or like how specific do you need to get there? Well, I mean, it has to be pretty specific. You have to, you know, each institution is going to have their own process for designating a beneficiary on an account. And so, you know, some of them you can do online. Some of them, like she said, you have to go to the bank and get what's a, called a payable on death or a transfer on death on those bank accounts. So you would, I mean, you would have to write, you know, the neighbor Doug revocable trust as a beneficiary. It has to be pretty specific. Sure. All of those things you just described are at all the institutions that are holding your money. You got to point all of those to the trust. You don't have to do anything on the, the trust document side to receive the money, right? Nope. Thanks for pointing that out for us, Tina. If you've got a TikTok minute that you'd like us to highlight, uh, email me, joe at stackingbenjamins.com, and I'll be happy to take a look, and uh, maybe we'll hear your contribution to the show. Hey, coming up next, I got- Joe, Joe, just say it. Just say it. It's not that hard. Four words. What? You were right, Doug. (laughs) I mean, come on. Is it that hard? High five. High five. Here, let me high five. You. Let me high five you. High five. Way to go, man. Good get you at a 50-50 shot and you won. Nice work. And you're in on the planning meetings for these episodes. So you might have had a head start as well. <laughs> just just saying. Coming up next, certified financial planner Taylor Schulte isn't just uh dreamy. He in 2014 launched Define Financial. 
They are a team of award-winning CFPs who specialize in retirement and tax planning for people over age 50. Oh, I finally made it into his uh, wheelhouse. Yes. They help clients reduce taxes, invest smarter, retire on their terms. Listen to this about our good friend, Taylor. His company has been recognized as the number three independent financial advisor in 2021. We'll ask him why he wasn't number one. Uh, by Investopedia and a multi-year award-winning wealth manager in San Diego Magazine. He's a columnist for Kiplinger, host of Forbes Top 10 retirement podcast called Stay Wealthy, in reference to Mr. Ron Burgundy. Frequently contributes to the media as a financial expert. He's here today because he's compiled a bunch of great stories of people going from decent to great after they actually did some planning. But before that, we're planning on a good trivia segment from you today, Doug. So no pressure, but what do you got? Hey there, stackers. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. And since we're talking financial planning and goal getting, have you got what it takes to become a financial planner? I meet with my planner right after a shift down at the Easy Mart. So I'm going to quiz him on all of this right after we record this episode. According to the CFP board, how many areas of expertise do you need to master to secure a certified financial planning designation? I'll be back right after I demo this tanning bed. Well, if you're new to Stacking Benjamins, you may not know that I've tried out a lot of personal finance apps. I like to be a guinea pig and try out all these things so I know what I'm talking about when it comes to uh, what's helpful and what isn't helpful. And the app that I've used the longest has been Monarch Money. And it's because Cheryl and I, my spouse, we're able to collaborate together. We can work on our goals together and our budget and our goals are right next to each other on the app. It is clearly the next generation of personal finance apps. So what is it? Monarch is the top rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now... Because you're a stacker, you'll get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash Benjamins. I love the fact that we get to collaborate. I love the fact that it's customizable. And I also love that it's this ad-free privacy you can trust. They never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying out Monarch myself, I totally get why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, because you're a stacker, you're going to get an extended 30-day free trial to try it out like I try out many different apps. And this one was sticky for me because, well, you'll see when you try out the 30-day free trial. Go to monarchmoney.com slash Benjamins. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y.com slash Benjamins for your extended 30-day free trial. And now a word from our sponsors at Betterment. Do you want your money to dream big? Do you want your money to be a total self-starter? Are you annoyed that your money doesn't work hard enough? Well, don't worry. Betterment is here to help. Betterment's the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Their automated technology is built to help maximize returns, meaning when you invest with Betterment, your money can auto-adjust as you get closer to your goal, rebalance if your portfolio gets too far out of line, and your dividends are automatically reinvested. That can increase the potential for compound returns. In other words... Your money's breaking a sweat while you can be breaking bread. You'll never picture your money in the same way again. Betterment, the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Visit betterment.com to get started. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. 
Hey there, stackers. I'm Gold Crusher and Vitamin D Sponge, Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. I just looked up this answer and it appears my Easy Mart affiliated planner may have a different designation because when I asked about his standards, he's only got three. Uh, and they are as follows. Offer the customer your lucky lottery numbers and see if they bite. Number two, upsell some smokes or a Slim Jim along with that red, code red Mountain Dew. And the bathroom is always out of commission. And you gotta say, dude, sorry about that. But today's trivia was about something different apparently, financial planning standards. How many parts of today's CFP board exam are there in total? Well, if you guessed the crazy eight, you're correct. According to the CFP board, the eight principal knowledge domains are, deep breath, professional conduct and regulation, general principles of financial planning, risk management and insurance, investments, tax planning, retirement savings and income, estate planning, almost made it, and psychology. Get them all, you're amazing. Maybe way more amazing than my man down at the Easy Mart cash register. So here to help us apply all of those financial planning principles, it's Taylor Schulte. And I'm super happy he's back with us in mom's basement. Mr. Taylor Schulte is here. How are you, man? I'm doing well, Joe. Happy to be in the basement. I, you know, I heard Peter Lazaroff was here recently and, and trashed the basement. So I'm here to clean it up for you. <laughs> That's good. Well, you know, Peter, of course, you can't take Peter anywhere. You know, and why is it the guys that always look so neat and well-dressed and well put together and manage lots of money that end up being the guys that tear the place up? Like, why are they? Yeah. I, you know, I'm not sure, uh, but don't associate me with Peter. <laughs> and people that don't have any idea about the inside joke here is that Peter is like this super nice, super well put together. Nice, nice, nice guy. But speaking of nice guys, man, nice job on this project. Taylor, why you, why you and why this project? Like, tell me about how this all came together. Yeah. Well, my co-founder with the AGC, it's a private community for financial advisors, Justin Costelli, Justin Costelli and I kind of came up with this idea with the community together to write a book. You know, we've got amazing financial advisors, about 170 advisors across the world, actually. And we all, you know, collaborate and help each other out. And we often talk about how there's kind of this misconception about what financial planners do. You know, a lot of people think financial planners just, you know, trade stocks and bonds. And so there's a lot of misunderstandings and misconceptions. And we thought, how cool would it be for us all to come together as a community to write a book. And so we have 30 authors that came together and each contributed a true story, an inspiring true story to this book to, to show people the value and the power of real financial planning. So it's been a really fun project. On top of it all, we all agreed not to make any money from this project whatsoever. All net proceeds are being donated back to the profession, back to making access to financial advice easier, to pro bono financial advice, to improving diversity within the profession. So it's just been a really, really rewarding project that started within the community and has just kind of grown from there. Let's dive into some of these stories. Well, and actually, even before we do that, you begin your introduction to the book with a quote. And I want to ask you about this. You say there's a textbook answer and then there is your answer. What does that mean? You know, so often we talk about these textbook answers. Somebody has a question, you know, should I buy mutual fund A or mutual fund B, or should I do a Roth conversion this year? Or what types of accounts should I be contributing to? And I think it's important to address the textbook answer first. Let's talk about what the textbook answer is. And then let's have a real conversation with that client or potential client about what the impact of, of pursuing that recommendation is. And I always like to say, 
that there is this textbook answer and then there is your answer. And as long as your answer doesn't put your financial plan in jeopardy, I'm, I'm here to support that. And so it really kind of helps to drop the guard and start to have a real conversation about money and what the purpose of pursuing these different strategies are. There's a lot of different ways you can say it, but that, that's typically what I say, especially you know on my podcast when I talk a lot, of, a lot about these kind of nerdy financial planning topics, people start to think like, well, if I'm not doing it exactly the right way, I'm, I'm failing. And that's not necessarily yeah. true. And there's some great stories in the book, you know, one by Rita Chang talking about social security and you know this textbook answer is to delay social security to age 70. And she shares a really cool story about her client who took social security right away at 62 and had real reasons to do that and and the positive impacts of doing that. It is so exciting to hear that because I feel like for most of us, half the reason we listen to shows like yours or like Stacking Benjamins is because of the fact that they feel like the temperature is so high, right? I got to get this right. And I think it's reaffirming to hear a guy like you say, it's okay to have a different answer. It's fine to, it's even fine, Taylor, I think in most cases to mess this up a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we are going to make mistakes along the way. I find that making mistakes is important. There are learning lessons in there. So yeah, I think it's okay to give people permission. Now, it is important to highlight that this is not an excuse not to do the hard work, right? right I followed right. up by saying, as long as it doesn't put your plan in jeopardy, I can support it. But there are situations where the textbook answer, you know, whether it's making more money or saving more money or, or fixing your investment allocation, sometimes that is the answer that you have to follow. Well, there's so many stories here, but I want to dive into just two of them. You open with a story from uh, financial planner, Michael Kelly. First of all, let's talk a little bit about Michael. Tell me a little bit about Michael Kelly. Yeah, I mean, Michael is one of our fantastic uh, financial advisor members in the AGC. All of us in the AGC are collaborators. We want to help each other. Michael is definitely one of those guys. And yeah, he wrote an amazing chapter that, that really resonated with me. He talks about his clients, Josh and Christina. And I think this is really, really common. I think with your listeners as well, where, hey, look, I'm, I'm, I'm doing well. I'm making money. I'm saving money. In fact, I think I have more money than I need, but I feel like I'm maybe missing out on opportunities. Like I, I don't know what I don't know. And so that's one thing that really resonated with me in his story. In addition, talking about, um, he doesn't use the word, but I use uh, making work optional. It's like, I don't want to, to know that I have to work. I want to know that I have the ability to stop working or pursue something that's really important to me. And then I can make an informed decision once I know that. So making work optional kind of comes out in his story as well, which I really appreciated. So Josh and Christina work in the tech industry. They are highly compensated people. And what immediately I think about is that these people have a lot of responsibilities. They have lots of stock that they're given every year. Clearly things are going in their favor. They work their butt off all the time. What was resounding to me, Taylor, at the beginning of this is that when I hear people in the online community, when I moved over from being a financial planner to just doing financial media, the thing that I hear all the time now is you're smart enough to do this yourself. And I look at Josh and Christina in this story and immediately I'm like, these are two tech executives. Of course, they're smart enough to do this themselves. Like they could easily do all this, this themselves. It is frustrating because I think that's the wrong question. And I feel like Josh and Christina kind of get it right by saying, I need to have some people in my corner. Like, even though I'm a smart person, I got to have some VPs in my, you know, like vice presidents of financial planning in my corner. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I equate it to a lot of different things in life. It's like, you know, I, I could mow my own lawn. I could do my own taxes, 
but it's not necessarily where I want to spend my time. You know, I, I'd rather watch a movie with my kids on the weekend or take them golfing than do yard work. And so I hire somebody to go ahead and, and do that for me. It's not that I can't do it. It's just that you know, I want to spend my time differently. And then to your point, there's also, well, I'm sure that a professional landscaper is going to do a much better job taking care of my yard than I will or a professional CPA. So there are ways to optimize. And again, to Josh and Christina's point, they're like, I don't, we don't know what we don't know. We know we're, we're doing well and we're saving money, but what more can we be doing to optimize what we're currently doing and, and put ourselves in the best possible position, which I think brings up a good point. There are a lot of unknowns in life. And we talk about this textbook answer and we run all these projections and a Monte Carlo analysis. But, you know, between now and end of life, there's going to be a lot of things that happen that we cannot plan for, that we cannot predict. And by optimizing our current plan and putting ourselves in an even better position, it protects us a little bit more against those giant unknowns that are in the future. Yeah, it's funny because you say, or Michael says in his story that a lot of people feel trapped and Josh and Christina clearly feel trapped because, well, and before I even get to there, I want to, I want to make this point. Michael writes that they have three choices. They're doing fine. They can let it go and be not optimized. and They'll probably be okay. They have this general feeling they're going to be okay. And Michael agrees. They probably will be okay. Second is they get educated. They dive in themselves. It becomes their second career tailor. They spend all day doing this, trying to be the professional landscaper with their finances. And maybe it's great or maybe it isn't. And then they find a partner. I would suggest though that I disagree only partially here with Michael because I felt like when I was a financial planner, Taylor, there were people that wanted to delegate responsibilities for me attaining my goal to somebody else. And that's what I hated about financial planning. And I had to continually push it back on my client. Go, no, no, these aren't my goals. These are your goals. This is your stuff. So meeting with somebody a few times a year and then coming into their office and going, why the hell is the stock market down? And we didn't do anything versus setting up a plan that you understand yourself and delegating some of the tasks to somebody. I mean, that's, do you see the difference between those? I think that, I think in this, Josh and Christina still need to be in charge of their financial plan. I think you bring up an excellent point. I almost think about financial advisors, financial planners as accountability partners, right? You know, having that person in your life to make sure that you actually take action and do these things. So I, I think you're absolutely right that just having somebody in your life to hold you accountable to taking action is really important, but it also highlights the importance of you being involved in the process. To your point, you can't just hire somebody and walk away and, you know, come back to them in 10 years and hope everything's in, in a good place. You have to be a part of that process. Second to that, your spouse needs to be a part of the process. Sometimes we hear at our firm that I take care of the finances. You only need to, to work with me. And that, that's not true. Both spouses need to be involved in the process in order for both of you to have success long-term. Well, you've got that later in the book, right? Spouses pass away. And if you never met your financial planner, I mean, how horrible is that? You're meeting this person that knows all about your money and you've, and you've never met them before. I'm laughing because it truly is not funny. Michael makes a big point of, he doesn't start with the investments. Like most people, when, mm -hmm. they're, when they're bringing on these VPs, they're bringing on a financial planner, a team, people to help them out. They think, okay, we're going to talk about investments. We're going to talk about insurances. We're going to talk Michael doesn't start with any of that. He said, we're going to start with the why. Can you explain to me and actually to all of our stackers why we're starting there versus starting with all the things? Yeah, I say it a little bit differently to my clients. So I look at things like your investments, insurance, estate planning, 
you know, where to save money, what types of accounts. I, I look at all those things as prescriptions. And as we all know, if we think about the medical world, uh, we need a diagnosis first in order to understand what prescriptions we should be taking. Like, it'd be really weird for me to be at a party and see a doctor and say, hey, doc, like, I'm taking prescription A. What do you think? Like, should I change it to prescription B or prescription C? He or she would be like, I don't know. Like, come into my office. Let's do some, some blood work. Let me do a diagnosis. And then I'll tell you if what you're taking makes sense or if you should change your prescription. And financial planning is the exact same way. But a lot of times we just kind of forget that. And we we want to talk about those prescriptions. We want to talk about Apple stock or, you know, mutual fund, right. ABC, whatever it is. We want to know if we should buy life insurance. But we have to have that diagnosis first in order to understand what prescriptions we should be taking. So that kind of plays into to Michael's why. Why are we doing things this way? Why are we taking the, this prescription? Why are we allocating our investments this way? So going through that diagnosis, not just once, but on a regular basis to ensure that, you know, what we're doing truly makes sense for us and our goals and everything is aligned. We want our retirement plan, our financial plan to drive all of those decisions. Those things should be going hand in hand. And what I see with clients often joining our firm is the retirement plan says one thing and the investments are doing another. And we need to get those things back on the same track. Well, it's, it's interesting you say that because I just use the CEO analogy. And as I'm listening to you talk, Taylor, it it also goes hand in hand with that analogy, right? If I'm the CEO yeah. and my my VP just comes in with all these things that I don't think are broken, like the plan doesn't make sense unless we start with where the hell's the company going. And, yep. and that is the big key here for Josh and Christina, Michael writes, that like, man, so many people, their goals are going one way. They really want to make an impact around them. They want to be present with their family. And yet the way they spend their hours doesn't reflect that at all. And I'm wondering just from all years, your years in practice, Taylor, how often do you find that happen where the hours we spend here on earth are way different than what people tell you they seriously want to do? Yeah, I think it happens all the time. And I think it's it's hard to think clearly about how you want to spend your time and the things that you want to do without really understanding where you're at, where you're headed, and, and if you're on track. And, and what I really enjoyed about Michael's chapter was as soon as they they had that information, as soon as they clearly understood where their finances stood and, and how on track they were to reach their goals, then they could take a deep breath and make a really informed decision about how they want to spend the rest of their life. And ironically, you know, as much as uh, Josh and Christina talked about, you know, doing something different professionally, once they had that answer, they actually just stayed doing what they were doing. Right, and and, right. and I, we find that all the time. Again, once you give somebody permission to say, hey, look, you can retire if you want to retire. You don't have to work. You have made work optional. Then you see this like sigh of relief and they're like, oh, well, I actually love my job and I want to actually continue doing it. But it's only when they know it's on their terms and not somebody else's. It was so exciting to read. Christina wants to work maybe with startups instead of this big company she works with. She feels handcuffed because they, they're they constantly giving her more and more stock. And so she's watching these, these handcuffs. And Josh surprises everybody by saying, I don't know, maybe I want to go into fitness. Like, <laughs> I'm so tired of being in this leadership role. Maybe I want to go do something totally different, which Michael says he was, he was jesting a little bit, but there's some truth there that he's just kind of tired of the grind. Uh, so Michael goes through, he goes through their strengths, which I also like, because I feel like sometimes people are afraid that they're going to go work with a professional and the professional's going to immediately go after all the crap I'm doing wrong, right? I remember some people saying to me that they thought this could be like the dentist. It was going to be just, oh, you got cavities, your life is rotten. But he talks about their savings rate is fantastic. 
that they uh, have it automated, their budget's under control, their investments are right on, they're not managing in a professional manager. I thought that probably kind of spoke to, they needed an investment policy statement, a way to think critically you know, and systematically about their investments so it can be on a better autopilot. They discussed a better tax strategy for Christina stock options, reducing risk by not buying insurance through work, and then refinancing their mortgage, putting a debt strategy in place. Sounds like a great financial plan, Taylor which is why I just monologued there and didn't ask you a question. The place where I move forward was when he goes, but that's table stakes. That's not really, fin- I mean, that that's all fine. And that's what we think a financial planner is. And, and, and I literally, I, I was so excited when I read that because this is a well-rounded financial plan, Taylor, but it has nothing to do yet with Josh or Christina. It's absolutely right. I took note of that as well. I love that he said that. And again, I think it falls into the just the, the misunderstanding and misconception of financial planning. You know, when most people have exposure, when, when people have exposure to real financial planning, they realize that, yeah, we, we should have done all of this stuff, you know, 20 years ago. It is table stakes. These are all things, you know, going to a doctor and getting your blood drawn and having a physical once here. Those are table stakes. But too often in the wealth management world, and, and this is changing, you know, rapidly. But, you know, historically, it was just about, you know, buying stocks and bonds and, you know, talking about the markets and making predictions. But real financial planning is is table stakes for those that that really want to achieve their goals. And uh, one thing that I took note of in his, his chapter is what he said. He said, money is a tool, not the goal. So many people are, are chasing money and saving more money. And how much money do I have? But money is just a tool to achieve those goals. Money is not the goal. And the goal then back to your original point was, they want to feel like they're not trapped. And he showed them that they could make 25% less money and they're not trapped. And and you already gave this away as well, Taylor. They both, they stayed at their job, but they don't feel trapped anymore. They can make this move whenever they want and it'll be fine. And so it wasn't so much about making the move as it was to know that they had the ability to make the move and know that they're running things optimally. It was so good. Yeah. Knowledge is power. I think of the same way too with like budgeting. Everybody hates budgeting. I say, you don't have to go on a budget. Just understand where your money is going. You know, once you know where your money is going, then you can make informed decisions about how you spend your money. And I think it's the same thing with their situations. Like once you understand where you're currently at, you can take a deep breath and take a sigh of relief and then make an informed decision about how you want to spend your time. It's so funny because I was thinking as you were talking about the budget analogy, I use lots of tools. I experiment all the time, you know, because of the podcast, I'm always having fun. I like cube money. I like Tiller. I like all these different things, but you know, our best budget for Cheryl and I, Taylor, is just the weekly meeting we have, which is just purely a discussion about how we spent money last week, how we're going to spend money next week. How do you guys, how do you and your spouse budget? Yeah. Funny enough, you know, me being the financial planner in the household, my wife would always look to me. It's like, you know, how much money do we have? How much money are we spending? Are we doing okay? And I I just got kind of tired of that conversation with my wife and that dynamic. So I hired a professional bookkeeper and she sits in between me and my wife and she categorizes all of our expenses and she puts reports together for us every single month that then allows my wife and I to sit down and have a knowledgeable conversation about where our money is going. Not only that, but um, my, my wife uh, raised her hand and volunteered. She wanted to be a part of that process. So she works directly with the bookkeeper to categorize things and, you know, make sure everything looks good. And then we sit down and have a conversation around it. And, you know, now my wife just has full transparency around money, where money is and how it's being spent. We can sit and ask ourselves like, Hey, Taylor, you spent a thousand dollars last month playing golf. Like, you know, is what? that something you value? Do you want to continue <laughs> doing that? I'm like, yes, please. <laughs> but it does allow us to have much more effective conversations and it's kind of just re- removed a lot of the friction and you know maybe some animosity there. Oh, absolutely. No, very much so. That's so interesting. That's really cool. 
I want to skip to later in the book, a financial planner and a woman who's been on the show a couple times as well, uh, Stephanie McCullough. We'll get into this person in a second, but tell us a little bit about Stephanie, if you don't mind. Yeah, Stephanie's a just a, a great person all around. She's a financial planner out in Pennsylvania. She primarily, you know, specializes in working with women or you know, going, people going through these major life transitions, which is what she writes about in the book. But yeah, Stephanie's somebody who believes in just collaborating and helping people, and doesn't view other advisors as competitors, and just an all around great person. So I, I really enjoyed her chapter. We'll do a case study next, then Taylor on Cassandra and Stephen. Tell us about Cassandra and Stephen. Set the story up for us. Yeah, you know, it's hard to remember every detail in the book, but I know, you know, Cassandra, <laughs> unfortunately, uh, became a widow. Her husband predeceased her. And now she's in a situation where she's like, you know, do I have enough? Uh, am I going to be okay? Do I have to go back to work now because of this? And, you know, who do I talk to about money and finances? And it kind of goes back to your other point, which is, you know, sure, there might be one person in the household that's taking care of the money and the finances and has a good grasp on everything. But what if that person gets hit by a bus? Like, what if something happens? Now the other person's left in the dark and left in this situation where they're they're worried and you know I know there's shame around money and feeling isolated and not you know knowing who to talk to. So I think a lot of people will uh, maybe not be able to relate exactly to Cassandra, but maybe get their wheels turning a little bit and realize like, hey, I need to think about this stuff because it is possible. Definitely so. I mean, I just think that this is for a lot of us a look into the possible future. Well, at some point, the people around us are going to pass away, right? And and we need to be ready for that. She goes to three different financial planners, well, wealth managers, let's put it that way, because I think they were much more focused on the stuff that the prescriptions, to use a Taylor Schulte term, on just throwing out prescriptions versus really what a financial plan is. It makes me think of our mutual friend, Roger Whitney, and a phrase I first heard him say, Taylor. He probably got it from you, though. So probably. I'm sure Roger's out he there steals stealing, yep. stealing all our stuff. Yeah. I know. What a loser that guy. Uh, Roger, Roger said, whenever somebody leads with product and not process, you should run. And uh, Cassandra is frustrated because she's gotten product, not processed three times in a row and she's kind of let it go. But then she gets, she, she gets hooked up with Stephanie and she's got a few problems in her life. First one is she has this son, Daniel, that has a learning disability and everybody thinks that Daniel's just leeching off of her, mm-hmm. Taylor. And I know we all have these situations that we're not going to talk to our friends about. I'm not going to tell people what, you know, my son's diagnosis for X, Y, Z. And so her friends are giving her th- this advice and really don't know exactly what's going on. She wants to tithe to her church. She, she has dual citizenship, UK and US. She doesn't know, you know, do I have enough money? Should I move back to the UK where for her, it might be cheaper, but all of her friends are here. Like her situation, Taylor is really complicated to go through three advisors before she finds somebody who's empathetic is really difficult. How would you, Stephanie doesn't really go into this. How does somebody shorten this process so they don't get Cassandra finally reaching Stephanie on try number four? You know, there's a a beautiful trend happening in this profession right now, which is financial planners recognizing the power of becoming specialists, right? Historically, and and when I got into the industry, you kind of just worked with anyone and everyone, and you were more of a generalist. More and more advisors like Stephanie are becoming specialists and learning how to have these types of conversations with people like Cassandra and and having the expertise to solve her very specific problems. Again, we can draw the analogy to the medical world or even the legal world. Like you're not going to go to a personal injury attorney if you need an estate plan done. So I think part of it is 
working with a specialist that has an expertise in helping people just like you and knowing how to have those types of conversations. So I think that's a really big part of it. I also think, and I really want to drill this home because it is important that that leading with the products, um, you know, sometimes it's really hard to evaluate financial advisors and know if they're truly the right person you should be working with. And I think you should think about that. If the, if the first conversation is about products or prescriptions, you're probably not in the right place. Again, if you met a doctor for the first time and they started to tell you what to take, you'd be scratching your head saying, how does this person know what I should be taking? They haven't asked me any questions. They haven't you know, done a diagnosis. So in just about every profession, every industry, in your line of work, whatever line of work you do, you're probably the same way. You're probably not handing out prescriptions or leading with products. So I think the fact that advisors like Stephanie are getting more and more specialized and, and they know how to have these conversations productively is just making a huge impact on people. And I, I love watching this trend develop right now. What surprised me with the first three advisors that she has, they, they talk condescendingly to her. They constantly encourage her not to spend her money. And the first thing Stephanie does is helps her with her son and helps her son get, not, not even her, Taylor, she's working on her son's financial plan with Cassandra, which yeah. really takes a huge weight off of Cassandra's back. And then when it comes to the UK, which is problem number two, she has uh, Cassandra and a friend go visit the town she might want to live in and actually start to get some 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 prices. I was talking to a listener of the show recently, and they were they were talking about whether they remodel or whether they go buy a new house. Yeah, and I encourage them to go talk to let's talk to a builder and let's go meet with a realtor and see what the difference is between those money wise. And let's you know get out there and actually look. I feel like this financial plan she has now is truly much more of a partnership than what she got from these first three people. In fact, during Stephanie's whole time, does she actually talk about wealth management? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it it comes up naturally and it highlights the importance of, of what real financial planning looks like. You know, Cassandra needed a decision-making partner, somebody to, to kind of think through these problems with her, you know, having somebody kind of hold her accountable to doing these things. You know, maybe she thought about on her own going to UK to visit this town, but having Stephanie say like, no, like go and do it, you know, empowering her to make these informed decisions. So, you know, naturally, I think having those conversations and, and taking that that role in a relationship, it allows for those financial conversations to just happen more fluidly and, and, and naturally. You know, although she probably didn't say it directly in her story, I know those conversations are happening. They're just much easier once you have that space to have those real conversations. Yeah. And the cool thing here is to your point, they are happening, but it's all background because it's not about the money like you opened up with. And it's not a textbook thing. Working with your son, Daniel's financial plan is not the textbook answer, <laughs> but it certainly is Cassandra's answer. Right. Exactly. I have one more thing, which was really cool. There's a little bit of know yourself here too, Taylor, mm -hmm. and working with your advisor to set things up specifically for you. I love this. Cassandra didn't want to call anybody about getting her money. She wanted to be shamed about her money. She didn't want to, she, she, she didn't want to ask permission to go after her own money, but she also didn't want to have it all available. So Stephanie sets this up where she's going to get a distribution, like automatically money's going to hit her checking account. And then she has this checkbook, kind of this hidden checkbook where there's something big. She just has the ability to write a check. I feel like sharing that stuff with your advisor is something we also gloss over when we just talk about wealth management. Hey, Taylor, I'm a spender. Like I need to hide money. for. The, and by the way, this is totally me talking to you. I am totally a spender. If I have any money on me, Taylor, at any time, 
I will blow the hell out of it. So we need to set up a plan that's based on that versus somebody else who you might work with might be completely frugal. I'm so glad you brought that up. And I'm so glad that you highlighted that it it works on both ends. You know, the types of clients that we work with, they have more money than they can spend. And the type of person it takes to amass great wealth is not the same type of person that's great at spending money. So a big part of our job with our clients is helping give them confidence to, to go and spend that money and enjoy life. And then like you said, on the other end of that, acknowledging that, hey, I'm I'm a bit of a spender. And um, you know, I, I don't know if I'd, I'd categorize myself as a spender, but my example of hiring a bookkeeper is putting somebody in between us and our money, right? Just having that person in between us and our money so that we have that information and that knowledge and we can we can make informed decisions about it. But I think the hardest part here for financial planners in Stephanie's position is to create the space to allow somebody like Cassandra to to feel comfortable enough to say that, right? Like that that that's not easy to come yeah. out and say like I'm a spender, I need your help. Yeah. Um so creating the space to have that vulnerable conversation and be able to trust somebody like Stephanie to say that to and then that, that's not easy. That that takes a real skill for Stephanie to be able to create that space for somebody to share that. One of my favorite books ever is a book called Stock Market Wizards, and it's about doing something that, uh, that, that, that Taylor, I don't think, does on a daily basis, which is about just trading stocks heavily all day long. But it's these different people who have done it really well for a long time. Mm-hmm. And the, the breadth of this book shows you how many different ways there are to trade markets, how many different ways there are, how many strategies there are for these traders, something that 99% of our audience, Taylor, and your audience isn't going to do. I felt like this book, More Than Money, is the same thing for financial planning. These are a ton of different stories, case studies on all these different ways that you can get there. And every single one is a different piece of the rose. It was, I don't know, it was really fun to read. I can't wait to finish it. The book is called More Than Money, Real Life Stories of Financial Planning, edited. Man, uh, 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 Shauna, do you pronounce her name Shauna? Yep, Shauna do. Yeah, she's absolutely amazing. This project, I don't know if it would have gotten to the finish line without her. So, you know, huge thank you to Shauna. That's what I was just about to say. I can't imagine the workload Shauna had doing this, but also you and Justin and all the collaborators, job well done, man. Thank you. Where can people get the book? Yeah, I I really appreciate that. Yeah, you can get the book anywhere. Uh, It comes out on March 21st. You can pre-order it now on Amazon. Really simple URL, morethanmoneybook.com. We'll go ahead and reroute you to the Amazon page and pre-order. Like I said earlier, all net proceeds are being donated back to the profession, to organizations like the Foundation for Financial Planning that is working to make financial advice more accessible through pro bono financial planning. So all proceeds are going to better our profession and make advice more accessible. So I'll make a deal with your audience. I made the same deal to my audience, which is if you pre-order a copy of the book, go to morethanmoneybook.com or search for it in Amazon. If you pre-order a copy of the book, take a screenshot of your pre-order, send it to me at book at youstaywealthy.com. And I will send you personally, I will purchase a second copy. I will gift you a second copy that you can then give to somebody else in your your life who you think you can benefit from it. So I don't care how many of your listeners take me up on it, pre-order the book, send me a screenshot book at youstaywealthy.com. I will personally buy a second copy. I'll send it to you. You can give it to whoever you want, whoever you think will benefit from it. And together we can, you know, help make this profession better, improve diversity, make access to financial advice better all those things. So thank you very much for for having me, Joe, and and hopefully your audience can help support our mission here. Oh my God, Taylor. Thank you so much for doing that. And uh, by the way, guys, 
the 21st is tomorrow. So I love the, I love the, let's not uh, procrastinate. Let's get out there. Let's get this done. Right. You heard the interview, you know, you want to see the case studies. So, so get it done. All right. Last question. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you what's going on in the stay wealthy show. What do you got coming up, man? What's some secret that you can't share with anybody that is just you and me and a couple other people, maybe. Oh man. Well, yeah, we're having a lot of fun on the stay wealthy retirement show. We talk a lot about, you know, those nerdy tax funding opportunities, Oh, what I can't share. Well, I, you know, I got to say something, Joe. The last time I was on the show, we talked about my real estate nightmare. I'm sure you remember the story. I do. It's horrible. I have to acknowledge that we've had another real estate nightmare. And no. I, I won't go into the whole story, but there was a bit of a learning lesson in there that I feel like, I mean, I'm, I'm the real estate nightmare guy on your show. So I feel like I, I have to, I have to get this out there. <laughs> We have a new home now. That home I spoke about on your show years ago, that, that's gone. My wife and I were at a staycation here locally. The, the woman watching our house and our dog while we were gone, she called and she says, hey, there, there's water coming up through your floors. Long story short, we had what's called a, a slab leak. So all of our plumbing is, is buried in the foundation. And those pipes have been there for 25, 30 years. And you know, one of, oh them, my God. one of them broke and warm, hot water starts coming up through the floors. We got everything fixed, but what I learned through this this situation is a lot of insurance companies now, like big ones that you know by name, they're no longer covering slab leaks. So if you have your plumbing buried in your foundation like we did, it might be worth checking with your insurance company to ask them, do you cover slab leaks? Because a lot of them, like we learned, don't. Thankfully, thankfully ours did. They covered our six-figure insurance claim. We were out of our house for 10 weeks with three kids and a dog. It was a, it was a nightmare, oh but we had God. a lot of fun and, and thankfully insurance covered it. So if your plumbing is buried in the foundation, please check with your insurance company. Man, that's horrible. Homeownership is the best. <laughs> Taylor, man, great seeing you again. Sorry about that, but great work on the book. I really appreciate you coming and spending some time with our stackers. Yeah, thanks so much, Joe. I really appreciate it. Hey, this is Lou Mangello from WDW Radio. And when I'm not at Walt Disney World or sharing my passion for Disney World or eating, I am stacking Benjamins. Big thanks to Taylor Shelty for hanging out with us. Hey, let's see if we can continue to supersize this podcast and throw out the Avon Lifeline. Let's throw that out and tackle some of life's most important questions. Our friends, Avon Life Insurance Agency, OG, they put what you value first. I think it's, I think it's Girl Scout cookies. Don't you value Girl Scout no. cookies? I'm over Girl Scout cookies. That was You're two weeks ago, bro. Those are all gone. <laughs> you ate them all. I'm, I'm now uh, valuing basically all the detox that goes from the sugar withdrawal. That's, so. that's good. Well, it's probably better to go get a uh, insurance physical now. Now, yes, would have been. The glucose test is back to normal. (laughs) Do they have Narcan for sugar withdrawal? (laughs) I love their. I love their. Hi, uh, my name is OG, and I just downed uh, six boxes of Girl Scout cookies before I came over here in the parking lot. All policies uh, above Haven Life issued by the parent company Mass Mutual, more than a hundred and sixty year old insurer, so they know. When you've been into the Girl Scout cookies, no waiting several weeks for a decision either. They have taken their application. They made it simple online. And in most cases, you get an instant coverage decision. Get your life insurance done, people. Head to stackybedjamins.com slash havenlife now. You'll feel so much better when you do. You know what? Today, we're going to throw out the lifeline to another stacker. Let's say hello to Will. Hey, uh, this is Will from Oklahoma. And I just got into the show and I love learning about how to manage my money better. 
I want to get into financial advising as a career. I graduate from OSU in May with a degree in economics. I don't have any professional experience uh, due to a long story. I don't really want to, I'll spare you from, but I have some personal experience just for my own financial gain and retirement. And so outside of the licensing that I will need, are there any other ways that I could really get into it and really get ahead of the game? Um, I have some interviews coming up and I just want to be sure that I can put my best foot forward and get into that industry because it's really a dream of mine, but I just haven't been able to get to where I want to be professionally through college. So thank you. Hey, thanks for that question, Will. And you know what, OG? Good for him wanting to get into this. All studies show, by the way, we need a lot more financial planners. We need a ton more. Right. There's a lot of need for that service. But how do you break in? I uh, wanted to pour this into chat GPT to see what our friends over there have to say about it. And then I thought we could talk about it that way just to kind of frame it out because it'd be kind of fun. You're kidding me. <laughs> let's ask... No. Hey, uh, we don't know. So let's ask no, uh, the just, AI. You know, just kind of interesting. What they think. It says the first thing is you're supposed to uh, achieve a degree in finance or related field, including See, accounting, economics, okay. or business. All right. Let me tell you, as a guy with a degree in English, I don't I don't know that that's absolutely correct. Don't get me wrong. I think that it, okay. I think it, pa- no, no, no. I think it paves the path. But most people, and how many guests have we had on this show, OG, that have said this over and over and over and over, people don't succeed or fail just because they don't know the hard skills, that they don't understand the, yeah, the, math. the finer points of the mission, the math. It's the, what they call the soft skills. So while I agree with those degrees, I think you need to really get some good public speaking, the ability to, to have great deeper conversation, people, maybe some psychology. That's number five on the list. Uh, Strong communication and interpersonal skills. Financial planning requires strong communication skills and your ability to build relationships should focus on developing these skills to set yourself apart. What else they have on the list? Uh, Gain relevant experience. So entry level internship type positions, which is, I think what Will's talking about here, pursue relevant certifications. So as somebody who didn't get a degree in financial planning, I didn't get a degree in financial planning. You didn't get a degree in financial planning. You have to learn the, the financial planning stuff. And so one way to do that is through the coursework, uh, uh, you know, like the CFP coursework or, or some of the other financial planning specific uh, things. I think, I think between those two kind of interning slash working entry level type stuff, being involved in the process of financial planning plus learning the block and tackle type things. I think you see the uh, communication styles, right? You see that, you see the problem solving, you see the softer side of financial planning, but then also getting the the tactical foundation of like, this is a Roth IRA. You might not know that from an economics degree. That might not be, you know, something that's there. So I think both of those are, are helpful. I think the last one um, I thought was really good. You have some comments on this too, I suspect. Build a strong network. Consider joining the FPA or some other sort of uh, professional organization that can kind of help help your career go along. And I think that's really super important too, is surrounding yourself by people that are ahead of you in terms of like people that you can look up to, people that can kind of drag you along, but then also like a cohort of people that are all going through it together. Because, um, you know, sometimes learning new things or kind of, you know, embarking on a new career or whatever it may be 
can seem a little uh, isolating, I suppose. And um, there's a whole bunch of people that are just uh, starting their financial planning careers this month also. You know, they're, they're all starting. Surrounding yourself with good people is so important, no matter what the job, not just for financial planning, but being surrounded by a good group of people that can lift you up and get you through the tough times. Uh, Sean Hayes talked about that when he was talking about the good days well before he went to jail, when he was on the things were going really well. Surround yourself with really good people. Yeah. I think there's a lot of coping going on during your first year as a financial planner, especially if you are going to be responsible for bringing in new clients. I think the marketing aspect is incredibly difficult. So I know OG different than when you and I started, uh, right. There's lots of ways to get involved in an organization where you don't have to do that part. Now, the bad news is that is generally the highest paying position because it's the hardest to do. Bringing on new clients is the it's the lifeblood of any organization. So that's going to pay the highest. But you can watch some skilled other people do that and learn those by being maybe their right hand person while you get the other skills and help them get ahead. I think that opportunity is far more available today than it was when I started. Yeah. And you talked about somebody that was in your training class that was all upset that he wasn't getting the million dollar accounts. Right. And I think, you know, at some level that's also, you know, that kind of sort of happens now even, especially because there's not as much focus on professional firms who already have a robust client acquisition program going on and you're an associate and you just kind of show up and they plug you into the, into the role. You're like, why am I working with 25 year olds who are saving hundred dollars a month in their brokerage accounts? When the guy across the hallway is talking about these really cool clients that he's working with and these cool problems that he's solving. It's like, well, that's because you're new. <laughs> you, you have to get there. You have to, even people that graduate, I think in with, with financial planning degrees still have a lot of life experience to get through. So, you know, I was talking to my kids about this the other day. I think the biggest differentiating factor, he was talking about how to, how to have this as, you know, his best foot forward or whatever, like, how do I separate myself is I want to hire the person that is going to have the most effort. You know, my kids were talking about this in a sport scenario about some stuff that was going on at school. And I was like, your coach doesn't expect you to get every pop fly. You know, your coach doesn't expect you to get every grounder, the ones that are out of reach. The coach wants to see you giving a lot of effort to trying to do it. You know, the major league people strike out, the major league people miss balls. It's just going to happen. But if you go, well, that one looks too far for me, so I'm going to stand here and watch it go over my head. That tells me that you really don't have a sense of what's going on. So if you're looking to set yourself apart in the hiring process, I want that hiring person to know that I'm, I want to be the person that they can count on. You know, I want to be the person that will do everything in the, in the business that I can help out with. Cause I want to absorb all of that information. Like we were talking about before. I think this is a great point, no matter what job you're going after. OG. I think this is huge. I think too many people wait for the boss or the organization to set the curriculum for them to learn about what they have to do. And when you set the curriculum and you set the pace and you ask for more responsibility, whether you give it or get it or not, is kind of irrelevant. But how great is it for your boss to have the employee come up and go, you know what? I'd like to take on more. I'd like to see yeah. if I can do this. I want to try to do something new. I want to be on this team. Like when you've got people that are that are asking you for more stuff, 
And the cool thing is, is let's say that the boss doesn't understand that because there's bad bosses out there. Even if they don't, the experience that you get from setting your own training regimen, setting your own agenda and asking to do more, that experience is absolutely fantastic and will translate. You'll find better bosses if you're out there right. doing all the cool stuff. I remember there were a bunch of people when I first started with American Express that were always talking about, well, this this thing that's you know six months away, this thing that that I could do later on, these opportunities coming on. And I remember Tony used to say, same guy, by the way, that told James in my story on Monday, that, yeah, we don't give the big accounts to the to the new guy. He also said, do great work today, and that will take care of all your problems. Do phenomenal work right now, in the moment. Forget about 10 days from now. Forget about five days from now. Do great work right now, and doors will open. Yep. And I was, I was, what, I was 27 then. I'm 55 now. That is not wrong. That's even more right now. Like, looking back at my career, when I focused on doing a better job of the thing right in front of me today doors open. Mic drop. I want to say one more thing to Will. Will, you mentioned that, you know, you, you don't have a lot of experience in the area and you said, well, because of stuff I don't want to get to do. You're just finishing college. You want to give yourself a little grace. Yeah. It's all right. I noticed that too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's going to be fine. Don't put a lot of pressure. Don't put so much pressure on yourself. Be the person I think of the OG talks about that wants to take on more and that will overcome the lack of experience in the I would past. find it odd if you had a lot of experience that you didn't want to talk about. <laughs> that would yeah. be, oh, I have tons of experience. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, wait a second. What, what's going on? <laughs> a background check. I'm out. I'm out. Yeah. 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 N- not good. Thanks for the question, Will. We haven't had that question in a long time. And I love it when somebody wants to get into this business because we need more people. Stackybedjamins.com slash voicemail. If you've got a question like Will did, and you know what? Will, when he goes into the the interview, he could be sporting our stacking Benjamin's stacking Benjamin's t-shirt. That's yeah, one way to say t-shirt that apart. we're sending him. Imagine. Yeah. Guess who I'm affiliated with? Who I know. I'm a community. Yeah. I'm a stacker. Nothing wrong with wearing a t-shirt into your interview for your job. Try say. it. See what happens. <laughs> it's like in Step Brothers when they wore the tuxedos. Yeah. Well, that's just about gonna do it for this. Monday's episode. Let's talk about what's happening here in the basement this week. If you want to stay on top of all the channels where we're talking money, you can get our welcome guide. That's the place where we show you all the different places like our Instagram channel where we go live each week. We also are on YouTube and the Fireside app. If you'd like to ask your own questions of our Fireside guest, that is on Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m., Central this week, Bob Wheeler, who's the CFO of the Comedy Store, one of the premier comedy clubs in the country, and also the host of the Money You Should Ask podcast, and a guy who has a CPA firm helping people finish returns. He's going to give us last-minute tax tips on Thursday. So bring your tax questions for Bob Wheeler on Thursday. We're going to record a little something for the podcast with Bob, and then you can ask uh, all the questions that you have. It's a really good time hang out live with our stackers. There's much more, but go to stackybedjamins.com slash welcome, and that will give you the guide to all the different channels that we help people out with, with their money. But if you're not here so that you can hang out with us live on YouTube or on Instagram, you're concerned about the market and all the chatter about which way this, uh, this economy is going to go, OG and his team have put together a free guide that shares eight moves to make it a down market 
the guy to help you plan more and panic less no matter what the market does. So head over to stackingbenjamins.com slash guide. Get this helpful free guide from OG. That's stackingbenjamins.com slash guide. All right. I think that's it for today on uh, our end. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today, everybody. I really appreciate it. We appreciate everybody who's also left us a review of this show. I also appreciate Doug. You know why? Because he's going to tell us what we should have learned today. So what should we have learned today? First, take some advice from Taylor Schulte to go beyond money to improve your life. A great plan is the first step to a better future. Second, got trusts? Don't trust that your trust is funded. Get it? Trust? (laughs) So funny. But the big lesson? If you're in a tanning bed, tap out before you smell smoke. Hey, look, I like rump roast as much as the next guy, but I prefer it not to be mine. Thanks to Taylor Schulte for joining us today. You can find Taylor's book, More Than Money, Real-Life Stories of Financial Planning, at any reputable bookseller. But not the shady ones, because apparently, in addition to being shockingly handsome, Taylor also has standards. Don't worry, we'll also include links in our show notes at stackingbenjamins.com. This show is the property of SB Podcasts, LLC, copyright 2023, and is created by Joe Salcihai. Our producer is Karen Repine. This show was written by Lacey Langford, who's also the host of the Military Money Show, with help from me, Joe, and Doc G from the Earn and Invest podcast. Kevin Bailey helps us take a deeper dive into all the topics covered on each episode in our newsletter called The 201. You'll find the 411 on all things money at The 201. Just visit stackingbenjamins.com slash 201. Tina Eichenberg makes the video version of this show. Once we bottle up all this goodness, we ship it to our engineer, the amazing Steve Stewart. Steve helps the rest of our team sound nearly as good as I do right now. Want to chat with friends about the show later? Mom's friend Gertrude and Kate Yunkin are our social media coordinators, and Gertrude is the room mother in our Facebook group called The Basement. So say hello when you see us posting online. To join all the basement fun with other stackers, type stackingbenjamins.com slash basement. Not only should you not take advice from these nerds, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any financial decisions, speak with a real financial advisor. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and we'll see you next time back here at the Stacking Benjamin Show.
Well, as a guy who really likes football and uh, I'm getting more and more intrigued, OG, by the NFL as the Lions get their act together. Isn't it weird how I wasn't a huge fan of the NFL when the Lions sucked? And now I'm like, oh, this might be a good league. They're sweet. There might be some <laughs> good stuff happening here. Yeah. Now that my Lions might be, might be, you know, but how many times have we said that? I mean, seriously, we're all originally yeah. from Michigan. Who's, who's, who's had this thought before? Every time I hear myself even saying this out loud, I'm like, what the hell are you doing? My dad used to sit in his blue chair and get so upset at the Lions every year. Dad, they haven't done anything since the year you graduated from high school. Why do you have expectations that they're going to do anything different? But every year, every year we all fall for it. Well, I heard about this uh, movie, which was produced by Tom Brady, by the way, and uh, loosely based on a well-known true story. Well-known film director. Yes, well, very well known. But I'm like, really? Tom Brady in movies? This this might be interesting. So uh, what could be better than an NFL story based on an experience we haven't seen before in any movie about the NFL? Of course, uh, what was the Oliver Stone movie? Any given Sunday? Remember that? The inches we need are all around (laughs) us. So many great lines. But anyway... I love all these different stories about the NFL. So, but what about one based on four, four women who might be over 80 years old? We went to see it yesterday because uh, it's leaving our theater. This has been out for a while. It's called 80 for Brady. By the way, I even like how the trailer spoofs the NFL. I'm going to play just the beginning of the trailer here before we have a listen. But check this out. Now, it's time for the 80 for Brady starting lineup. Lily Tomlin, Wayne State University. Rita Moreno, PS132. Sally Field, Birmingham High School. Jane Fonda, college dropout. The 80 for Brady trailer. <laughs> they, they go, only talk about this. We talk about a college education. Maybe four of the best known older actresses working between Sally Field, Lily Tomlin, Rita Moreno, and Jane Fonda. One, one college degree among the four. Yeah. And where's that college degree from? Yes. Speaking of Detroit, way to go, Lily Tomlin. Yeah. Good stuff. But uh, we went to see this film and uh, let's listen to a little trailer. Game's about to start. There's Tom. Oh, oh what a beautiful man. I like Gronkowski. We know, Trish. We've all read your Gronk erotica. It's not erotica. It's fan fiction. Very sexy fan fiction. Aren't you tired of the same old boring lives? Let's go to the Super Bowl. The Super Bowl is no place for four old women. This could be Tom's last one. He's almost 40. That's like 80 in people years. Yeah, we're 80 in people years. I just really need this trip. I can't believe we're actually here. Taking this one. He's cute. So you don't have any tickets? How much for four? 10,000. 10,000? Well, I have a 20 in my strap-on. That's a fanny pack. If you wear it like this, it's a strap-on. Wow. Hearing Sally Field talk about her strap-on might might be one of the reasons why I thought this was going to be a movie a lot like Wild Hogs. You guys remember Wild Hogs with uh, John Travolta, William H. Macy, Martin Lawrence, Ray Liotta was even in that movie. I thought that movie was hilarious. So, did you see that movie? I know Doug didn't see it. And Tim the Toolman Taylor was in it, I think, too. That's right. I forgot that, too. Tim Allen also in in Wild Hogs. 
So I thought, okay, You're cool. Right up your alley, s- Doug. It's kind of the the theme of the, that movie should speak right to you. Hmm. You should download Old men it. on motorcycles. Yeah, having one I last think he's drive. He's referring to the hogs. <laughs> no, no, I was definitely referring to the one last hurrah before you just sail into the sunset. <laughs> your advanced stages. Why would that appeal to me? You feel like I'm ready to kick it? Do you know? Have you talked to my doctor? I've seen your diet. <laughs> I thought this was going to be. Hate to bring you back to this movie, but I thought this was going to be the same. Turns out that it wasn't. It was a lot more of a uh, heartfelt movie. There were some laughs. It was very much just a hundred percent a just a feel good movie. I laughed my way through it. Luckily, this movie is not wonderful, so it was short. Meaning, I think it was a movie that knows what it is, and it did it very well. It just hit all its all its points. They try to go to the Super Bowl. They figured they devise a way to get there. They're all they all have different things that have happened in their life. It is actually hilarious. You heard this in the trailer that uh, Jane Fonda's character writes Rob Gronkowski fan fiction that they allude to is very much pornographic. And then when she meets the Gronk later on, and uh, Ron admits that he carries it with him everywhere he goes, and he's like hugging it up to his chest. That might be one of the funniest moments of the of the of the whole. I'm glad you gave it away. Of the whole movie. I saw it in the trailer. I think it's even in the trailer, but you see it again in the movie and it still is very funny. Just an 80-year-old woman writing uh, erotic fiction about her and, and the Gronk. So a movie that I would definitely give a uh, solid B, B plus to. You know what kind of movie this is, OG? If you're on a plane and you like football and you like a different take on just football and you're looking for a movie to get you from Little Rock to Chicago on the whatever flight. And just when you land, you got a good feeling and uh, and and enjoyed it. Of course, Tom Brady makes an appearance as well. That in, is a very specific set of criteria that you have to watch this movie. <laughs> so if I'm ever on a flight from Little Rock to Chicago, <laughs> this is the movie for me. Okay, got it. Make, taking notes. Does it just so happen that I'm making that flight tomorrow? Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, uh, but anyway, a thumb, uh, mildly thumbs up with those conditions. I, I really liked, uh, 80 for Brady. Well, stackers, the show is over, but the party is just beginning here. You know why? Because it's military appreciation month and we are giving out shout outs to all of our friends who have served in the military. And let's point, uh, the finger right here at our good friend, OG, who spent time in the military. And of course we know what a giver he is even when he pretends like he's being uh, Mr. Surly. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members to help them reach their goals. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate, and you'll see all their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. They've got all kinds of resources on their site, like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. So much going on. Just head over to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate and take a look at all the Military Appreciation Month offers and their usual offers. Navy Federal, our members are the mission. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.